Now, the traditional complaint that people have about rabbis, I realize there are complaints, but one of the traditional complaints is that rabbis usually answer questions with questions. So a man comes to a rabbi and says, Rabbi, should I do this or that? And the rabbi says to him, well, why would you want to do either one? But the root of this idea actually falls in a small, beautiful story told by the philosopher Buber. Now, this story has lots of different versions. But the version that I read takes place in the yeshiva, in rabbinical school. So that's where this one takes place. There was a rabbi, Buberite, who turned to his students and said to them that they could ask him any question they wish. But with the caveat that there was only one question allowed per person. The questions were fielded across the group with the wise rabbi, wise rabbi, artfully answering each and every one of them. And finally he comes to the final student and he asks, Rabbi, I've heard almost every question of every kind being asked and you've answered them all. So there's only one left to ask. What's the secret to life? And the rabbi looks at him in the eye and he says, that's such a beautiful question, why would you want an answer? So I'm going to do something very rabbinical. I'm going to ask some questions. And then I'm going to do something very unrabbinic. I'm going to answer some of them. One of those questions is about tomorrow night. And this coming week as we celebrate Hanukkah. The rabbis of ancient Judaism ask, My Hanukkah, what is Hanukkah? So they tell us a story that so many of us know. The Jews enter into the holy temple that had been defiled with idolatry by the Seleucid Empire. After coming into the temple and cleaning out the idols, they realized that there was one thing left to do to bring the temple back to its original and true state, the menorah needed to be lit. But in order for the menorah to be lit, they needed the special oil that had been produced and packed under the supervision of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest. They, in fact, would need eight bottles of it. One to light on that, that day, and then seven more, in fact, until the new shipment could arrive. But only a single bottle, as we know, was ever found. And the miracle of Hanukkah, those rabbis go on to tell us, was that the oil that they found burned for seven more days than it should have, and only went out when the new shipment arrived, surely telling those Jews that God had found favor in what they had put their hands to. And that's the story that I was told, and I suspect you too. It is a story that we tell our co-workers and friends who perhaps aren't Jewish, and want to know what it is that we're celebrating. But if you had grown up in Israel, say in the late 1940s, all the way into the early 1990s, that was not the story that you would have been taught in school. No. Because if you had grown up in Israel in the pre-state era, or in the post-state decades that followed, the story that you would have heard would have been the story of a valiant and an undermanned group of Jewish warriors who took battle against an overwhelmingly superior Greek army, which is also the story that we, re we recite in our prayers in Hanukkah as well. And even though those Maccabees were outnumbered four or five to one, they did not shirk from the battle at hand, 
but rather girded with courage and determination. Those men defeated the greatest general of the army of his time. They routed his army and sent them away, leaving them to reestablish control over their homeland once again. And echoes of this is heard even in Israel today. Israeli prime ministers routinely call soldiers in the IDF B'nai HaMakabim Bismanenu. They tell them that they are children of the Maccabees. So perhaps the rabbis of those ancient days asked the right question all, given these two opposing stories. What is Hanukkah? Is it oil or arrows? Is it miracles or men? On one hand, you can understand why for centuries the story told about Hanukkah was a miraculous gift that God had given us through a bottle of oil. Because if you're living in 17th century Poland, in the midst of poverty and persecution, a story of battle and heroism aren't the things that you need to live. No, because in a moment like that, what you need is something entirely different. Not the story of men taking arms to overcome an invading army and recapture their temple, if only because you don't have a land and there is no longer that temple. What you need is a story of symbols, of light and darkness, of good and evil, with the light winning, even if it is a small light, and the good prevailing, even if it is just a small pocket of goodness in a much larger troubled world. So there in the squalor and oppression of Jewish life in Poland or Russia or Germany or Morocco, where Jews were locked into mellas and ghettos come sunset, where Jews were prohibited from owning property, attending universities, taking a professional degree, where no more than two Jews were allowed to walk side by side in the street outside of the Jewish quarter, where Jews were not entitled to carry walking sticks, that when a Christian would pass by and say, you did machmoris, Jew, pay your due, that you would have to step off the sidewalk, remove your hat, and step into the street. And streets back then were not paved. They were dirty and money. And then you would bow. If you lived then and there, what you would have needed was not symbols of weapons. You would need an idea that light could be powerful too. Because the only thing, weapon you had in your hand was a match. If you had lived then, you would have come to see and believe and the reality of moral victories, because terrestrial ones would have been far from your hands. But on the other hand, if you're living in 1948 Palestine, you don't need a story telling you that eight days of oil were made from one day of oil. No, what you need to believe is that Jews can hold weapons, and they can wage war, and that they can protect their family and their homes. In 1948, especially in 1948, Three, three years after the Shoah and the murder of six million Jews, you needed to believe that a Jew isn't genetically marked to be marked off to slaughter like sheep. You needed to believe that there had been a time when things were in fact different. In 1948 Palestine, when 12 Arab armies were perched on your border awaiting the order to invade, with nearly everyone you knew, a survivor of the Holocaust or a family member of someone who was a survivor or a victim, you needed to believe that, you were, well, that what you were about to do wasn't some fantasy, but it had been done before. Yes, thousands of years ago, 
But no matter, it had been done before. When he had seen, for the first time, Jewish men bearing arms, Menachem Begin's mentor, Vladimir Jabotinsky, was heard saying, yes, they have risen. The children of Judah, the Lion of the Maccabees, is back. And it was Theodor Herzl who wrote, long before then, that the Maccabees will rise again. And our question for this morning is this, which miracle do you need? Is it the one with the oil or the one of bravery? But let's be clear that even those ancient rabbis could see that Hanukkah's answers were not on the surface, that you would need to look deeper in order to find out what this holiday has to teach you. The medieval rabbi Joseph Caro did some simple math, and he came up with a head-scratching question that goes like this. He asked that if there was one bottle of oil, and that bottle was enough to last for one day of lighting, and it ended up lasting for eight days, then the miracle really wasn't for eight days, was it? Because they had enough oil for one day. He then says that the real miracle then was only seven days. Then why do we celebrate eight? The real miracle was the day after that, along with all the other days that had followed until the new oil arrived. So perhaps Carl wonders that the real story of the eight days of Hanukkah is about the number itself. And think about that number for a moment, the number eight. On the eighth day of life, a Jewish boy is circumcised. That God creates the world in seven days, and then God stops. We celebrate Hanukkah for eight days, and not for seven. Because the number eight is the great symbol of where God ends and where you begin. The number eight is a signpost on the road that tells us that this is, that this is where God will no, go no further. And in many ways, that's where it begins our story. That as a theologian, Heschel once said, it describes a world where man doesn't need God quite nearly as much as God is desperately in need of us. These eight days remind us that we are not celestial pawns or toys of God. They remind us that we are not spectators here. The number eight teaches us that God is not only waiting, but as the ancient rabbi said, that God is praying for us to take what we have been given and to make it better. Seven is God's number, but eight is yours. So what kind of miracle do you need? The miracle of oil or the story in believing our hands can make what we need in this world. And it seems to me that you need both all at the same time. You need faith to not accept living in darkness. And you need strength to light a flame, even in the midst of a storm. May Hanukkah this year give us both faith and strength. Shabbat Shalom. Please rise, page 368. Yid gadal me 
Amen. Amen. Amen.